Amen. Can we worship the Lord with our voice in the house? Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Come on, come on. There's a spirit flowing in the sanctuary right now. God, we lift you up. Amen. Anybody feel the Holy Ghost in the sanctuary? Amen. It is nights like tonight. That God has a way of speaking and shifting. Amen. And God, God is pleased with your faithfulness tonight and being here in a midweek service. And I'm I'm looking forward to something happening beneath the surface. I've been in prayer and God's been talking. I wonder if we can just lift our hands in the house right now. Come on, after a long day's work and school, come on right now and just press into the spirit and open our ears. God, open our ears and open our hearts. God, open up a portal in our spirit to receive. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, come on, if you could just dig out a good prayer right now. Come on, let something turn over in the Holy Ghost. Let something turn over in your spirit. Come on, when you don't know what to pray for as we are, come on, pray in the Holy Ghost. Come on, pray in the Holy Ghost. If you don't know what you need right now in your own tongue, come on, pray as the Spirit gives the other utterance. In the name of Jesus, God, we need your word to speak. God, we need your voice to speak. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Somebody clap your hands one more time unto the Lord in the house. Amen. Second Timothy chapter 3 verse 1. And also be turning your attention to two other passages of scripture. Matthew 24 and 37. And Revelation 22 and 13. Amen. So grateful for the spirit of revival that's been in this church. Amen. There's such, there's such a unique presence of the spirit of the Lord that lingers in this house. There's something I feel in my spirit. I know, I know in revivals there's, a, there's a, a period of acclamation. The church is trying to get acclimated to the preacher and the preacher is trying to sense, sense the needs of the people. And in prayer today, I felt that God was prodding me clearly. And I don't know, I don't know how many services we will have together to work, but I, I will continue to keep my promise as I expressed Tuesday last week that I'm going to give everything I got every time I'm in this desk. Amen. I'm not holding anything back because I believe that we're pulling, we're pulling somewhere in the spirit. And I just want to go where God's taking us. Come on, anybody's trying to go where God has taken us. Amen. And there's one thing before I, before I begin. There's one thing that, that's really, 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 really itching in my spirit. And I, I, Bishop, if I can just be free to just say what I feel in the spirit. I, I know 
I know that in a transition, I've been in both buildings. I think, I've, I think we've all had that pleasure and luxury. And I know that everybody here, all the saints, the faithful saints, thank God for the saints of God. All the faithful saints are, we're all in this right now trying to get settled in this sanctuary. Settled in the sanctuary. But can I help us tonight? God forbid that we be settled in the spirit. God forbid that we would just settle and ease on in a spirit of mediocrity. I believe that God wants this place full. Come on, I wish you'd just look around on a Tuesday night. I think God wants this place full. Amen, amen. Second Timothy 3 and 1, when you have it, shout amen. The Bible says this know also that in the last, somebody shout last, that in the last days, perilous times shall come. I think we're there. What, what does perilous times, what does the last days look like? Matthew 24 and 37 declares but as the days of Noah were so shall also the coming of the son of man be for as in the days that were before the flood they were eating and drinking marrying and giving in marriage until until the day somebody say the last day until the day that Noah entered into the ark. Final, final text for consideration in the closing pages of scripture, Revelation 22 and 13, Jesus sounds an echo from his throne denoting the spirit in which his nature resembles. He said, I am Alpha and Omega the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Somebody shout the last. And if there's anything that I know about the nature of God, the Bible declares that, that God's spirit is long suffering toward us as in humanity. And he's not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. And I think it would be a beautiful thing in this hour if the people of God would mirror the nature of God. And that we would try our best to be the soul winners that God called us to be. And I know this is a Tuesday night message and I, I wrestled not long with God, but I wrestled enough to know that we're tired from work and it's been a long day, but if we can just press into the spirit for the faithful saints of God that are here, I believe that God is going to shift something in our spirit. And there's a challenge that God wants to issue to this church. It's all right if I just, if you just let the Holy Ghost talk to us right now. Come on, anybody want God to speak to you? Anybody want to be challenged by the spirit of God? Come on, I feel something moving in the sanctuary right now. Come on. Come on, if you know that there's something, there's something that you can be in the kingdom of God 
if there's a place that God is taking us that we're not there yet, I want you to lift up your hands across the house. Oh, God, help us, help us in the sanctuary. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Amen, amen. With the help of the Lord tonight, God, God has put something in my spirit. He's put a burden on my spirit for the Northwest tonight, and I want to preach about the last, the last lifeline. The last lifeline. Somebody look at your neighbor and say, you are the last lifeline. Amen. God bless you. Clap your hands in the house one more time. Amen. You may be seated tonight in Jesus' name, the last lifeline. There's a story that I came across recently that really revolutionized the way that I look at the church. It, it shifted the way that I look at this doctrine that we believe in. It's very interesting where inspiration can come from. It's a story, a World War II story of a young man, 19 years old, by the name of Elgin Staples. He, he was drafted in the military, the Navy, during the World War, and he was shipped off on a ship some 8,000 miles away from America. And the story that begins to unfold for every account that I've read of this story is remarkable and yet very troubling at the same time. Elgin and the crewmen of that ship, the ship that they were aboard, and this is the first picture, was called the USS Astoria. It was a ship. It was a ship that was sailing along a coast and at 2 o'clock a.m. in the dark hours on the sea, the ship without moment's notice during this war, without moment's notice, was under siege from the Japanese and began, began to be overwhelmed with explosions and explosives attacking and hitting, prevailing against the ship in that dark night. And as the ship began, began to to take blow after blow and crewmen were, were being incapacitated about with these explosions. Elgin, as one of the shipmen, as one of the crewmen, found himself grabbing and reaching for a life preserve and escaping and jumping into, into the abyss as he had became wounded and dazed, his legs barely working as he become dazed from the shrapnel of an explosive that went off next to him. And now he's wading out in the depths of the dark, in the ocean, he and several crewmen wading, clinging on for dear life to this life preserve. Somebody say life preserve. He's clinging on to the life preserve. He's wading out in the cold ocean as in the distance a smoke stacked and a smoke-filled ocean begin as the, 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 the ship began to go beneath the surface of the water and the darkness became more and more dark the minute. What was troubling about this scenario is as he waded out in the ocean, there was a fear that gripped him. There was a fear 
that got a hold of him because if you're out in the abyss and there's no sign of rescue, the one, the one question that comes to mind is, will I ever be saved? Will I ever be rescued? Will anyone ever find me? Will anyone ever know that we're here? Will we ever make it out of the depths of the deep alive? Shivering, cold, gripping this life preserve. This is the questions that cascaded the mind of Elgin. Some, some 10 hours passed. The next day, this would be August 9th, 1942. The next day was a very beautiful day for Elgin because all of a sudden in the distance, as he had waited in the ocean for 10 hours, barely breathing, barely hanging on to life, waiting in this ocean, praying that he would be rescued in the distance, there was another ship. Another ship that began to get closer and closer. The USS President Jackson, Jackson was the ship that got close enough to rescue Elgin, pull him aboard that ship, him and several of the other crewmen were rescued by this ship. What became, what became a simple rescue mission became a remarkable story because this, this, this unfolding of this rescue became coincidentally remarkable when Elgin made it back to his home state of Akron, Ohio. The reason being is as Elgin was was wading out in that ocean and he made it along the ship, Elgin began to evaluate the contents of this life preserve that he had been clinging on to for so many hours, knowing that without this preserve, he would have never made it out of the ocean alive. So thankful that something so small, something that people would take for granted, this life preserve saved his life and so, and so he gripped it and he relished it. In his memory, he put the life preserve in his duffel bag. He made it back home, and the story, the story got pretty bizarre from there. Because Elgin, in evaluating the contents of that preserve, he noticed a, a label that, that denoted the manufacture of the preserve. The manufacturing city happened to be his hometown, Akron, Ohio. It was manufactured up by Firestone Rubber Company. And this intrigued him because, man, this company's in the hometown in which I grew up in. And so, and so he had questions. He also, he also had questions about the serial number, this identifiable number marking and labeling the preserve. And these questions, these questions loomed his mind. Elgin, Elgin got home and coincidentally found out that his mother during the war, as many women did, she, she coincidentally began to work at Firestone and Rubber Company. And in the exchanging of conversations, they begin to talk about the company, about the preserves, about what they made and what they did. And, and Elgin began to question his mother. He said, Mama, I want to know what, what, what does it mean? What, what does these life preserves, there's, there's a marking of a number. There's a number there on the preserve. I want, I want to know what does those numbers mean? And, 
His mom said, well, son, those numbers are special identification numbers that each employee are given that we as an employee, we, we examine the contents of the preserve. We make sure that every preserve is carefully evaluated uh, because we know that this single instrument uh, is responsible for saving somebody's life. It said it is our responsibility to make sure that when we put our stamp of approval and it leaves this facility uh, that somebody is going to be saved uh, from the works of our hands. And so Elgin is furthermore intrigued and he happened to have kept the life preserve. Next picture he happened to have kept the life preserve and so he pulled it out of his duffel bag and he handed the life preserve to his mother. As, she as he handed her the preserve, she began to examine the contents. And she, she, grew rather, she grew rather quiet and tears began to stream down her face. As she looked at the life preserve and read the number on the preserve. Because when she read the number, the identifiable marker... On the preserve, she realized that this was a preserve that she herself had examined and gave her stamp of approval. Miraculously, coincidentally, some 8,000 miles away, a, a mama, a mama that had a child away in the distance, a mama that was, that was responsible with her own hands to help save somebody's life in the abyss of darkness. She ended up saving her own boy. She ended up saving her own child. Can I tell somebody in the house, we have a purpose in the earth. We have a purpose in this hour. God has given us identity. God has given us a responsibility. God has given us a mark to save somebody that's in the depths. <laughs> that's in the depths of darkness. I, I, I know this seems bizarre, but in the World War II Museum in New Orleans, back in my home state is where the story can be recalled. And, I, and this is remarkable. Somebody say, wow. It's remarkable, it's unbelievable that this woman, this woman, this woman, a mother can save her child some 8,000 miles away and she herself, she herself was responsible for the identification, the responsibility of salvation of her own son from this own small life preserve. But I, I begin to read the story and I, I've, I've, I've searched over and over. I've read books. I've searched over and over. And but the marks of something about the story, as remarkable as it is, it troubles me. I begin to examine the contents of details given in the story. Every story mentioned the ship that Elgin had been on, the USS Astoria. Every story outlined the ship, the ship arc, if you will, that was responsible for saving and rescuing Elgin and the shipmen. Every story mentioned how beautiful and remarkable coincidentally this life preserve was saved, this child, this young man some 8,000 miles away. Every story had details of his salvation. 
But I, I begin to pray and, and God begin to quicken my spirit concerning the church. God begin to quicken my spirit concerning the last days. Somebody shout the last days. God begin to quicken my spirit concerning who we are as a church in the last days. And something troubles me about every detail. I, I begin to think about the ship that got close enough, that waited close enough to rescue Elgin and bring him aboard the ark. It made me it made me happy to think that this one small life preserve can save a man from the depths of the deep. But the only thing that troubled me about this story is the most important detail of the whole event was never mentioned. The one detail, somebody say one. There was one detail, the most important detail that was missed in this entire story was the detail between the ship and the preserve. What, that, what I've come to help us understand tonight is, is it, it, there is no point, there is no point in having a ship and there is no point in having a preserve if there is no point of connectivity between the ship and the preserve. What are you telling me, preacher? I've come to preach a cornerstone on a, on a Tuesday night. It does no good to have an edifice of worship. It does no good to have a church, an ark of salvation, if there's not a people, a lifeline connecting the world to the church. It does no good to have a building if they never know we're here. It does. I wish somebody would hear me right now. What good is the preservation of the word of God, the doctrine of truth, if nobody ever heard, be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins. What good is an ark? What good is a preserve if there is no lifeline? Oh, somebody clap your hands in the house. Come on, we've got to be the people that say there's an ark, but I've got to connect them to the ark. We've got to be the lifeline to the world, to the world, to the world. Oh, somebody clap your hands in the house. Come on, somebody clap your hands in your house. I've come to tell you salvation does no good if we're not reaching. Salvation does no good if we're not reaching. I've come, I've come. I've come with the spirit on my soul. I've come with the heaviness of my heart. I feel something in the hills and the valleys of the northwest. The Bible says that as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also be at the coming of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the last day, until raindrops begin to descend from the heavens. For the first time, everybody was doing their thing. Everybody Everybody was going about their life as they always do but I've come to tell you we've got an identity to live up to we've got a responsibility to hold on to we've got to examine the contents and say if we've got the message they've got to hear the message if we've got 
I, I, I don't expect you to shout and I don't expect you to say a whole lot and a lot of call back and response but I pray that there'll be a spirit of evangelism that disseminates into our hearts because God saved me to save somebody else God delivered me to deliver somebody else God rescued me to rescue some. I wish somebody uh, that knows what it felt like to be pulled off a bar stool uh, that she would start passing the bar uh, and start praying in the name of Jesus. Uh, I wish somebody uh, would go back to the depths of the dark uh, and said, I was there where you are. Uh, I was depressed. Uh, I was weighed down, uh, but I'm a lifeline. Uh, you can hold on to me. Uh, I'm a. Because there's a world, there's a world of people. And I, I know, I know, I know we can preach about the world, but can I preach about the Northwest right now? There's souls lingering in the hills. There's broken people in the valleys. There are people that we walk past every day and you think that they're making it, but they're just drifting. You think that they're doing all right, but they're just floating in the abyss and they're praying for somebody to pull them out of the depths. They're praying for somebody to reach out in the darkness. They're praying, I, I wish you would hear me right now. Because we can get comfortable in our own salvation that we forget that there's people still out in the water. Anybody hearing the preacher right now? But sometimes we can get settled in our own salvation that we forget that there are people that are cold and they're shivering and they're waiting and wishing that somebody would see them in the darkness. Can I tell you what good is a light if we don't wait out in the darkness and say, hey, let me introduce you to Jesus. Hey, what good is a light if I don't let my lifeline drag behind me at work on a Monday morning and let them know I came from the presence of God from a Sunday after atmosphere of God and what you feel is a lifeline of hope. What you see when you see me is a lifeline of salvation. I just want to know, church, are you a soul winner or are you just a saint? I just want to know, are you looking? Are you searching? Are you the last lifeline? Because we live in a world that people have got to a place. Is this all right on a Tuesday night? People, people on the earth have got to a place that they can become sustained by their own ability to be resilient and survive. But God is not interested in people being preserved and just making it and barely getting from paycheck to paycheck. I don't care if their house is bigger, their bank account is fuller, and their life seems better. You have more than what they have. You know more than what they know. You possess more than what they possess. I've got a lifeline uh, extending from the cross uh, to the grave uh, of water where people. I've got to understand. We cannot, cannot talk to Cornerstone tonight. 
I know there's some visitors here, but I want to talk to Cornerstone tonight. God forbid, God forbid that he gives us his spirit and we harbor it and we, and we containerize it and we keep it locked up and we keep it to ourselves and we don't take off the lid and we reach people that need God. Oh, yeah, I know. I, I feel, I'm telling you, I know what the Holy Ghost is talking about. Uh, I'm telling you right now, God, oh, this is beautiful. This is beautiful. Uh, but God wants us to share it uh, with the people that are drowning. Uh, God wants us to share it uh, with the people that are drowning. Uh, they're reaching up hands. Uh, they're holding their breath, uh, praying that they don't go under one more time, uh, praying the waves don't capsize them uh, one more time. Uh, but I've come to tell you, we've got to be a hand uh, that's reaching in the depths uh, We've got to be a church that's reaching in the waters. We've got to be a people that's reaching in the darkness. I feel I feel something right now. We need to pray. We need to pray. We need to pray. I'm telling you right now, some of us, uh, it will do us good if we just repent uh, that that lady on your job uh, that's been talking your ear off, uh, that you never mentioned God one time. Uh, we ought to pray that God will forgive us uh, for keeping salvation locked uh, and loaded on the ship uh, when there's people drowning in the depths. Uh, God forbid, God forbid uh, that our lifeline would be too short uh, for anybody to reach it, uh, dangling over the depths, uh, and nobody can get on board. Your life is good. God's blessed your family. You got money in your bank account. You've got a house. You've got wealth. You've got salvation. But what good is salvation if nobody is going to heaven with you? <sighs> Can I tell you what's dangerous? What's dangerous? He said, after that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You shall receive power to be a witness. But instead of being witnesses, we are being selfish. I'm saying we because I'm talking to me too. I'm preaching everybody. I, I pray a challenge and a charge gets in your spirit. Because sometimes we can, is this all right? Sometimes we can have an elevator mentality. There's a label on the elevator that says max capacity. And that max capacity is for your preservation. We don't want too many people to get on because we, wanna, we don't want to be caught up in the calamity of if this thing goes down. We want to be saved. But can I tell you the danger of elevators? Sometimes the elevator's not even full and we don't want anybody else to get on. We want to push the button, push the close button so fast because we're trying to get to the top and we know if we let people on, we want to stop. We're going to stop on floors one, three, five and seven and I got to get to the top. But can I tell you that we've got to keep the door open. The church of the open door. We've got to keep the door open uh, because we got to get people to the top with us. Uh, we've got to get people to heaven with us. Uh, we've hey, if there's a time for you to shout, uh, you ought to shout right there uh, and say, I got to take somebody to with me. 
I don't just want to be saved. I want my children saved. I want my family saved. I want my co-workers saved. I want my enemies saved. The Northwest needs a lifeline. The Northwest needs you. Oh, somebody lift up your voice right now. You're the last lifeline. I don't care if you think you're insignificant. There's an identity. There's an identity on you. There's a responsibility on you. There's a spirit in you. Can I help somebody out right now? Raise your hands if life has been good for you. Come on, raise your hands. Come on, yeah, I want to see them. I want to see them. Come on, I want to see, I want to see the people that God has been blessing. Keep your hands up. Hear me right now. Can I tell you that we got to get out of this place that we think that God is blessing us for us. Well, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. You got to get to the point that you stop looking at your own world, your own bubble, and think that God's giving you favor for you. I'm preaching to you, but I'm, I'm preaching to me first. I'm telling you right now in the Holy Ghost, God's trying to stir something in your spirit. Don't settle in the house. Don't settle in the sanctuary. Don't settle in your salvation. You've got to reach for somebody else. Reach back in the waters. Reach back in the depths. Reach back in the darkness. There's somebody drowning. Can I tell you what it looks like? I can imagine Joseph. I can imagine Joseph in the pit. Somebody say the pit. I can imagine Joseph in the pit and it's a good chance he was wondering why am I even in this situation? Why in the world I'm in this darkness? But what Joseph didn't realize was that God has a plan and a purpose in everything he does. And God went in the depths of that pit when he pulls Joseph out. He wants Joseph to understand the mission statement that's before him. Because when Joseph gets to Egypt... God starts elevating him and God starts blessing him and God starts giving him favor, but his favor was never about him. Anybody hear me right now? Hey, brother, I know, I know God's been good to you, but if you think that God has given you a promotion on your job just for you to have your chest poked up, you got another thing coming. Maybe God made you a manager so you can be a light to the people under you because every other boss they had were demons from hell, but you're the last lifeline that can say, you know what? I'm going to show them kindness. I'm going to show them goodness. I'm going to show them God. That's why God put you there to be the last lifeline to be the last help to be the last chance to be the last voice to be the last hope to be the Joseph I'm elevating you I'm giving you favor I'm putting you in high places in Egypt but it was never about you anyway because in the last days perilous times shall come can I tell you, if there was ever a time that somebody on, your, on their job uh, needs to be smiling uh, in the depths of darkness, in this famine, this dark time, uh, and everybody's talking about the news, but you need to be talking about God. 
I don't know how much plainer I can preach, but I'm going to keep on preaching. Uh, hey, can I tell you, when everybody's crying and weeping uh, and worrying uh, and, and pulling their hair out, uh, you need to be pulling some chairs up uh, and say, but let me pray with you. Uh, let me talk to you about God. Uh, come to my house. Uh, come to the ark. Uh, we've got room left in the ship. Uh, get on board. Uh, we've got room left on the ship. Uh, we've got room left in the ark. Uh, we want broken people. Uh, we want hurting people. Uh, we've And Joseph gets to Egypt and he doesn't realize that God has positioned him for the preservation for a whole world. Sometimes we forget why God has filled us with his spirit. Sometimes we forget where God has brought us from. Is there anybody in this house used to have a terrible life? Has some things go go wrong in your world? Any first any first generation Pentecostals in the room right now? Oh God, help us if we forget. God, help us if we forget the waters that we were pulled out of. God forbid that we wear out the the cushion on our pew and we sit in the same seat, and that seat next to you stays empty. Can I tell you a good place to start? A good place to start is with your own family. I know they talk about you, but you keep on reaching anyway. I know, I know they excommunicate you. don't have anything to do with you, but you keep on loving them anyway. Don't lash out. I'm, I'm talking to somebody in the Holy Ghost. When they attack you about God, you keep loving them. Because you're the only lifeline they got. Because judgment's coming. And can I tell you something about the days of Noah? There's a great polarity between the days of Noah and the days of now. Because one man was preaching for 120 years. Building that ark. Building that ship. Preparing the way of salvation. People get ready. It's going to rain. It's going to rain. And that last day came. And God shut the door. And there was no more chance. There was no lifeline hanging off the bow of that ship. And I can see the waters raising. I can see the rain descending. I can see bodies floating around that ark. People reaching and grabbing for that gopher wood. <laughs> and it's not that Noah didn't try. But can you imagine one man, one voice trying to save one world? But God has given the world another chance. God has given Spokane another chance. Because as it was in the days of Noah, we're in the same days now. But can I tell you what's so much more beautiful about today? Noah was one man trying to save one world by himself. But look around in the sanctuary. There's a Noah here. And a Noah here. And that's another Noah. 
and that's another Noah. Anybody hear me preach to you right now? The responsibility of salvation was on one man, but now God has put it on one people. Hey, can I tell somebody right now, if you want to be saved, you better start reaching for somebody else. Hey, maybe, maybe you think that we can just be saved without reaching, but you can dig your talent and put it in the earth and wrap it in a napkin and preserve what you got. But God said, I'm going to give the man with 10 talents that's been reaching for somebody else. I'm going to give him 10 cities under his authority with more people to reach and more people to love. I come to tell you, there's souls in the hills. There's people hurting in the hills. We've got to be the last. That's lifeline. I, I, know, I know this is not what you want to hear on a Tuesday night. But I pray, I, I said, God, let my spirit be pure in preaching and let this spirit get a hold of the people. I, I pray the burden that's on my soul right now uh, will get in your bones uh, because I want my family saved. Uh, I want everybody I know to be saved. Uh, I'm telling there are people, uh, there are people that are walking in this earth uh, and they're walking in this city uh, and they see something in you uh, and they put their finger on it. I, I tell you what it is. It's the lifeline that's dragging behind you. It's the cord of salvation that's walking behind you. It's the spirit of God that, has, that he has given you. Can I tell you when you start reaching for the people that are close to you, you don't know how far your spirit will reach those around you. That might not make much sense to you until you go to Joshua 2 and 18 that this woman by the name of Rahab, this harlot by the name of Rahab, when judgment was coming to Jericho, she said, but if you can just, if you could just help me because I got some people in my house that I won't save. Anybody got some people in your family you won't save? Come on, let me see your hands. I got some people in my family that they ain't in church yet. God, don't turn out the lights and don't shut out the day. Don't end the time just yet until they get in the ship. I just want to know, do you want them to be saved? Do you want them to be saved? Do you want... Do you want them to be saved? They said, Rahab, you got you got something to do. You got a responsibility. They said, if your house is going to be saved, Rahab, you got to make sure you got to make sure that there's a lifeline extending from your house. Can I tell you why you can't have step this thing and you can't walk this thing halfway and you can't just live for God at church because your house is just as much of an extension of the church as the church is. You can't live for God at church and be a devil at home. You can't live for God at church and curse people out at work. You can't Hey, you got to be a saint in the house and be a saint in Egypt. You got to be a saint in the ark and be a saint in the abyss. You can't, you can't have you can't have a restrictive means of salvation 
and say we only want lawyers and doctors in the upper epsilon of the of society. You got to want your lifeline to reach everybody. Uh, red, yellow, black or white. Uh, rich man, poor man. Uh, broke man, crazy man. Uh, I don't care if they're bipolar. Uh, if they got mental disorders. Uh, if they, I don't care who they are. Uh, what they look like. Uh, God just wants your lifeline. Uh, reaching for somebody. Uh, where they can grab a hold of God. Uh, where they can see Jesus in you. Uh, where they can know there's a God. Uh, that's looking for the mingled, the maimed, the halt, the withered, the blind, the broken. God's looking for a lifeline in the Northwest. I just want to know, is it you? I just want to know, is it you? I just want to know if it's you. I'm almost done preaching because what you don't know about that lifeline is Rahab was just trying to do what she can do. She started small and she was looking at her house. I'm telling you, keep on praying for your husband, sister. If you got to put some clothes on a pew and pray by faith that my husband's going to fill this seat, you better make sure you're the last lifeline. Be the salvation of your house. Be the salvation of your children. You are the last lifeline. What Rahab did not know is when she put that scarlet thread, put it on the, put on the screen, the Bible said that if you want your house to be saved, you hang a scarlet thread out of that window. Joshua 2 and 18, you put a scarlet thread out of that window. And when we see that, when we see that cord, we're going to know that salvation has come to this house just as it did at Exodus. When I see the blood, I'm going to know that this house has been praying for somebody's soul. Don't turn out the lights just yet. God, don't let that car accident kill them. I'm praying. I plead the blood of Jesus over my house. I plead the blood of Jesus over my city. I plead the blood of Jesus. That lady in that cubicle that's next to you at work, you ought to start praying for her. That man on a job that's broken up and his marriage is falling apart. You better start praying on the job. You're the last lifeline. You're the last. But Rahab. I said, Brother Charles, keep your hands up and keep praying for him. <laughs> oh, God. What Rahab didn't know was that when she put that scarlet thread out of that window, that her lifeline was going to become a lineage line. And she thought she was just saving her house. But you find out some years down the line that Boaz begat Obed, that begat Jesse, that begat David, that begat Jesus. And it was her lifeline. It was her thread. It was her cord. It was her rope that saved you. Yeah, Rahab saved you. She wasn't thinking about you. She was thinking about saving somebody close to her. I've come to tell you, we have identity, responsibility. We have. I wish somebody would pray in the house right now. I wish somebody would lift up your hands right now. God forgive us. God help us. God help us. God help us. God help us. I, I don't know I don't know a lot of things but I know I know that some of us have walked past too many people without saying a word about God 
I'm not beating up on you. I'll tell you. I'll tell you why this is in my spirit. It was a few weeks ago. It was a few weeks ago. I was preparing to preach for a service. And I, I believe, I believe that if we're going to be used in this last hour, that we got to operate in the spirit and the nature of God. Isaiah 48 and 12, he said, hearken, hearken, O Jacob. He said, listen, my called Israel, my called. He said, I am the first and I am, I am the last. Because the spirit of God, the spirit of God is the first and the last. He's the first one to intervene, the first one to rescue those that need salvation. And God's the last one that's going to give up on people when we write them off. I was walking, I was walking and praying and I said, God, I want to walk in the spirit. I want to operate in the spirit. I want, I want my spirit to be locked in and in tune. You got to wake up every day with the Holy Ghost in operation in your spirit. You can't afford to be dried up, withered, shriveled in spirit. Are you going to miss souls that are reaching for a lifeline? I want, I want you boys to hold your hand out. Just, just hold your hand out. Just hold it out. Hold it out like you're reaching. It's too many days. It's too many days. There's people reaching just like this. And there's a lifeline attached to our spirit. And we never take time to notice that they're even reaching. We never even look back to see their hands reaching for the rope. Is this making sense for anybody? And God put me in my place one day. was going to a coffee shop to study had my briefcase and laptop in hand and the pastor recommended a nice shop in town so I thought I'd go check it out and as as I was putting my briefcase on the table that I wanted to sit at Sister Mayo the Holy Ghost clear as day the Holy Ghost said, not this coffee shop. You got to be in tune to God speaking to you because people need you. Is anybody hearing the preacher tonight? Now, this, this sermon, this is not pretty preaching. If you, if you, if you want the evangelist to preach pretty, I, I, I feel what God is doing in my spirit. I don't know, I don't know if you're going to get a pretty message after this service. Because God's trying to churn something in our spirit. What good is the ark if it's not full? And so I said, God, okay. So I looked up at my phone. I'm not from here. I'm not from the city. And so I, I looked for another coffee shop and I I found the next coffee shop. It was Starbucks. 
Nothing against nothing against Starbucks, but I like the eclectic shops. I like the I like the weird shops. Because you go in the weird shops, everybody's just minding their own business. They're not talking to each other. We're just there for coffee. And I walked in the coffee shop and I scanned the coffee shop and I'm like, God, why you brought me here? There's no seats left. So I thought, there was one table, only one table left in the coffee shop. So I said, okay, I guess I sit there and there's a lady, she had all her books spread out. She had three screens. She had set up a whole workstation in the coffee shop. And I said, ma'am, are you okay if I sit next to you? You know, people scared during COVID time. You got to, I don't care, but some people care. So I said, are you, are you okay with me sitting next to you? I said, I promise I will be quiet. No joke. She said, I can't promise I will be. So I set up my laptop. I get my Bible out. I go to put my AirPod in one ear. And she stopped what she was doing. She turned completely to me. And I'm nice and I'll, I'll talk to a fish if it lets me talk. And so I start talking to her, being nice and cordial with the mail. And I, I thought that a cordial conversation was just going to end out of respect for the setting at hand that we we're obviously there to work and study and not talk. And she kept talking and kept talking and kept talking and kept talking. You know folks like that, don't you? me right now and I said to myself if this woman keeps talking I will get no studying done and so I attempted I attempted to shut out the talking and I went to put my other airpod in and as I did the Holy Ghost said no Listen, you're the last lifeline. So I stopped what I was doing and I turned to her. And I started talking back to her and I started asking her questions. To show you how God works, I'm from Louisiana. She lives in Louisiana. But the coffee shop we're in, we're in Texas. Coincidence? 8,000 miles away, a boy saved by a life preserve is no coincidence. We started talking. She told me that she was a constitutional lawyer. And I told her I was a preacher. She said, that's interesting. Then she starts telling me how she's had terrible goals at marriage. She's been married three times. She's told me how at least two of her husbands were extremely abusive. She starts telling me how 
she doesn't get to see her kids because of the loss of custody matters. She starts telling me how many times she's thought about committing suicide. A tear welled up in my face. I said, God, what, what do you want me to do? Or what? And I started prying. I said, but listen, ma'am, I'm in, I'm in town to preach. I would love if you would come to church. And she said, I, I've tried that. I said, really? I said, well, have you ever been to a Pentecostal church? She said, oh, yes, I have. Really? She said, yeah. She said, about 35 years ago, I was 19 years old, and I, I was married to my husband. And we were going to a church in California. And my husband was really gung-ho about this Jesus thing. He really, everything they preached, he loved it. Everything they said, he loved it. But I was skeptical. And we would fight. And I didn't like all that holiness stuff they were preaching. At this point, I have never, I have not even told her I was a Pentecostal preacher. And tears start coming down my face. And the more I listen. She said, and you know, that church stuff is why my first marriage didn't make it. I said, what do you mean? She said, one day my husband and I got in a big fight because he wanted to be baptized and I didn't. So one day he decided to go to church without her and he got baptized without her being there. She said, I... I couldn't take it. It was the last straw. He was getting rid of everything. He was throwing TVs out. He was changing his life. I didn't want anything to do it, do with it. She said that was the last straw that when he got baptized, she divorced her husband because he had been baptized in Jesus' name. I said, God, would you, how am I supposed to help that? And I don't know what made me do it, Bishop. It's, it's a sore subject. I'm glad this is not being recorded. I, she was a constitutional lawyer, lawyer, so I brought up my pastor in conversation. And she started Googling. She started looking it up. She, she fought for people's rights based on the Constitution. And I said, Sherry, I perceive that, you, that there's something in you that you like things to be concrete. You like law. You like stuff to be. You like, you like for it to be tangible. That's why you like the law. You're fighting for people's rights, and if their rights are infringed upon, you said, no, we have the Constitution. I said, Sherry, those people, those people were, were not crazy like you think they were. I said, those people were my people. I said, I believe what they believe. I said, and we just so happen to believe that the word of God is greater than even the Constitution is. Because you love the law of the land, but we love the law of life. And we know that without this book, we won't make it. She, she got emotion. She said, I've never seen it like that. She said, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for, for sharing that with me. Now, 
Did Sherrick come to church? No. Will Sherry ever get baptized in Jesus' name? No. She did receive the Holy Ghost back in California. She said she loved the experience. Will Sherry make it to heaven? I don't know. What I do know is I didn't let that moment pass without letting her know about the last lifeline. Oh, yeah. And I text Sherry today with no response. But can I tell you, it's not about, it's not about the completeness of you seeing their salvation through. We are in the advertising business. And God just wants to know, is your mouth closed or is it open? Is your hand and your arms folded or are they reaching? I want us to stand across the house right now.